Today we begin studying some post-resurrection passages, and our scripture today is going to be John 20. We'll begin in verse 19. John 20, 19. In a few minutes. This week I was reminded again of our nation's sixth president, John Quincy Adams. His character is portrayed in the movie Amistad, which some of us went to see to benefit Cliff Drive. The story portrays a group of people who were kidnapped into slavery from Sierra Leone and courageously rebelled on their ship and then were arrested off the coast of New York as slaves. In the waning years of his life, this former president helps them gain freedom by arguing before the Supreme Court as their lawyer at age 74. As a thank you, the freed captives give him a Bible with a note that says, This has been a precious book to us in prison. We'd love to read it. Now we're free. And John Quincy Adams responded to their gift with a note that said, It is from that book I learned to espouse your cause when you were in trouble. When you go to the Adams Historic Home in Massachusetts, you can see this Bible displayed in his library, which the docents will tell you was a precious keepsake to him. Our family loves to go to presidential sites and libraries. It's something we committed to do when Olivia was young. And I'm always surprised when I go how much I leave with a new appreciation for the president after having experienced their life in full. Regardless of how I viewed them going in, I usually leave with a deep sense of respect, if not outright loving them, seeing the ways in which they impacted our nation for good. Now, naturally, presidential libraries and homes are meant to inspire the public, showing the best side of someone in a way that almost makes you want to jump on their bandwagon. It's almost as if they're still running for the accolade of public opinion. It's not completely emotionally manipulative, but it certainly tries to convince you how amazing they were. I always say that if you don't leave one of those libraries feeling great about a certain president, then the people who created it didn't do their job. So why am I talking about this? We just had Easter, the most glorious celebration the church has. The scripture we study today is a reminder of what happens next. What happens after Jesus rose? Where we all now live the church is not designed to be a place one goes to in order to experience a historical lesson and then go home. It's not meant to be a place where people feel great about Jesus when they're there, but then that fades away as they go home to their real lives. In this place... We don't try to create an emotionally charged environment to get you to think a certain way about the faith. No, the church is a people who authentically gather regularly in order to meet the living God so that people will keep him close all week long, all life long. See, Jesus broke out of the tomb with great joy. 
and then in the subsequent days began to show his followers how they too could live in the astonishing power and truth of the resurrection all the time. He rose from the dead so his presence would be with us every hour of every day. So worship is not meant to be a come once in a while kind of thing. It's not something we celebrate a few times a year giving God praise for the hope. Church is not a place we go to. It is what we are. People of God living daily in the living power that raised God from the dead. In John's gospel, he gives a picture of the first day of the resurrection and the first week And what that was like for the disciples as Jesus appeared to them in various ways. And in so doing, Jesus showed his followers who he is and who they could be. Because Easter is not a one-day deal. It's a moment that altered history and then actively changes us as we live into that reality forever. So hear now the word of the Lord from John 20. We will begin at verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Easter reminds us of all Christ came to give. Eternal life, grace upon grace for our sin, freedom from shame, deep soul healing, A heart for what God cares about. These are things only Christ can give us. In this passage of John, there is evidence of what Christ came to give us in our regular life. 
in his first interaction since he rose from the dead, there are four tangible things that Christ uh, gives us and how he lives in us in the everyday. So let's see what they are. On the evening of the first day, Resurrection Sunday, the disciples were in a room where they had locked for fear of the authorities. In the verses right before this story, Mary had told them that she had seen the master, that he was alive. Yet here they are, locked in a room, locked in fear, wondering what would come next. What do you think they're afraid of? Persecution, death, that someone would come and demand Jesus' body. Maybe they're a little afraid of seeing Jesus. Some may feel guilty for not standing up with him and fleeing him. Denying takes many forms. Honestly, I don't blame them. This is understandable behavior for what they went through. What they experienced was traumatic and shattered their world. Only the Lord could change their thinking. They needed a tangible expression of his presence. All of a sudden, he's among them. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Not, hello, or surprise, or I'm back. (laughs) Peace. When we are afraid, Jesus gives us peace. This is what Jesus promised at the dinner before his arrest. It is what he wanted his followers to focus in on in his absence. It's what he so freely offers us every day. In the last few weeks, I feel like we've talked a lot about peace. I feel like we've talked a lot about the shalom because it's so intertwined with Christ's story. Peace in this context is more than a greeting or a salutation. It is the gift of inner rest in our spirit that comes from being connected to God. Jesus here is fulfilling the covenant of peace that God offered to Israel way back with Abraham. Peace is a part of the blessing of that agreement. Friendship with Yahweh means protection and sustenance and meaning and grace and provision. And peace comes from knowing that we have these things when we know him and follow him because he loves us. Peace is a common expression used to show a person's intent in a relationship. An agreement is brokered with one another when we trust another person. In order for us to have a covenant with Jesus, we need to know he is true to his word. He told his followers, I will rise again from the dead. He told them, I will come again. He told them. He would never abandon them. So here he is. It gives peace to us as we share life with a God who is faithful. All of a sudden, Jesus is among them. This reminds us that he gets through all of the walls and the doors that we use to lock ourselves away from him. He can penetrate the hardest heart. And the most closed off mind. 
Without effort, he can get past our defenses. Resurrection literally means a standing up. He comes to show them he is standing. He's no longer lying in the grave. He is among them, pointing to his hands and his side. Just him rising again gives peace. He is alive, giving assurance that in this life he has conquered the worst evil the world can inflict. So where are you living in fear today? Where have you closed off part of yourself because you are afraid of what can harm you from the outside? How has Jesus appeared to you to help you? How could his presence bring peace to your situation? Jesus doesn't scold us in our fear. He understands how life beats us down and makes us afraid. He comes instead to offer what he died to give. A supernatural breathing in and peace of God. He rose again to give you peace. The second thing Jesus communicates to them is what is going to happen next for them. Jesus is a forward thinker. He's always talking about what the future holds. And so when we wonder at our purpose, Jesus sends us out. There's nothing recorded of what the disciples have been doing since his death. They, what we know is that they're sitting in a room. So Jesus comes to tell them what the next step is. Again, before he tells them, he speaks peace over them. This time is a precursor to knowing his will. That's an idea that we actually could stop and think about and talk about. Jesus wants us to have peace as we are discerning his will for us. Jesus tells them that now he is risen, they are going to be sent out just like he was. The Father has sent him, and now he sends them the church. The church is his body sent into the world to offer God's mercy where he directs. What did Jesus say? That the Spirit was upon him to bring good news to the poor. We've heard about that today. To give freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To set the oppressed free. That is our mandate as well. This is John's version of the Great Commission. This is also part of the covenant agreement. If we accept his dying in our place, then we live for him. If we trust him with our sins, then he trusts us to go in his name. Jesus trusts you to go to preach the good news of the resurrection. However you do that with your life, with your words, with your actions. That's what we sign up for as believers. The work he has given each of us to accomplish with our unique gifts and experiences and education. In order to do this, Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit. This is different than what happens at Pentecost. I believe that this is done so the disciples could have his life-giving presence as they went out and started preaching and needed to preach those sermons so that the people would be ready when the Holy Spirit came. John Calvin says this experience was a sprinkling of the Holy Spirit and what comes at Pentecost is a saturation. For that revival to happen, the disciples need to deeply connect with him now. Verse 23 is a bit rough for us. 
It says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. There are some similar passages in Matthew where Jesus speaks of binding and loosing that has the same overtones. Let me give you a thought and see how it resonates with you. And then we can have coffee and, you know, discuss it and argue it if you want to. Jesus is not saying that forgiveness is brokered by humanity, although some have taken it that way. It's not meant for the church to pronounce absolution of sins nor judgment on people. But the sent ones, the church, is the guardian, the caretakers of God's truth. We bring the spirit with us to discern what is happening in the name of Jesus in people's lives. In Matthew, Jesus tells them he has been given authority in heaven and on earth and sends them in his name. The church is empowered then to declare that forgiveness comes through the name of Jesus because he paid the price. Where do people need to know that they're forgiven? Sometimes people can't believe. They don't have assurance that their sins could truly be forgiven, that Christ is sufficient for what they've done. When people come deep in sin wanting to know what they're doing wrong, how do we respond? How do we go out offering and proclaiming grace and forgiveness in the name of the Lord? We're to speak truth that there are consequences. We ourselves have experienced consequences for our sin and for the sin of others in our lives. But glory be to God, we don't have to live there. So how is it then that we proclaim that truth? When Jesus came, Thomas was not present with the rest of the disciples. Thomas, who has been described as a courageous pessimist or an honest skeptic, maybe some of you relate to him. Not only does he not believe his friends, his friends, about Jesus coming to see them, he adamantly declares that he will not believe until he can see and touch Christ's scars for himself. He's actually kind of combative about it, I think. Thomas has a reputation that now equals Judas in how he is known. To have an adjective before your name, Doubting Thomas means that is how generations have come to know him. Is he wrong? I don't think so. I think this is part of his faith journey, part of his process. Remember, the rest of them were in fear, and they got to have the peace of God over them. And Thomas wasn't included in that. While he saw Lazarus raised from the dead, he's not in a place of thinking that Jesus could do that. But isn't that all of us? We all doubt. We all have dark times when our minds cannot comprehend the possibility of hope beyond what we know with certainty ourselves. We all have existential questions. Sometimes we all take stands and say, there's no way that God is ever going to do that. This might have made the other disciples who told Thomas their experience uncomfortable. People who express skepticism can cause others to feel uncertain about how to take it. 
In those moments, it doesn't really work for someone to say, Thomas, just have faith. What's wrong with you? That's like telling someone, just fall in love with this person right now, this instant. That's not how it works. It doesn't help to coerce or push. Everyone needs their space. It is the Lord's work to convince. So when we doubt, Jesus brings assurance. Jesus comes and gives a teachable moment to Thomas that he will never forget. After a week of waiting, Thomas gets to look and to touch and to examine. Jesus corrects Thomas, but in a way that helps form his soul with grace and peace. Jesus assures Thomas by showing his wounds. Look at the scars, Thomas. They're real. In his humanity, Jesus was wounded. Remember Isaiah, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We find peace through recognizing the wounds of Christ. Yet also we relate to others more deeply when we allow one another to see the places where we have been scarred by life. When we are vulnerable with each other, when we show each other the parts of us that have been hurt, it draws us closer. It is the same with Jesus by showing Thomas his wounds, by us looking at his wounds, we understand Jesus in a new way. Where in your life is there doubt? Where are you vehemently telling others that you just can't believe unless Jesus makes himself real to you? Where have you been in a place of doubt and Jesus met you? So now you are uniquely poised to assure others how Jesus wants to meet them in their doubts as well. Jesus rose again to assure us of our doubts. John ends this part by telling people why he wrote this book. He tells the readers there are more stories. They're just not written here. And what is written has been recorded so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And through believing, you might have life in his name. So when we need to find our way, Jesus gives us the path. To believe. Faith is a process. Mary tells the disciples that she has seen Jesus. The disciples tell Thomas what they saw. John writes his story. Others told us how Jesus met them. Those who believe find the life of Jesus. It is the oral testimony of those we trust, coupled with being educated in the Word, brought home by the Savior meeting us individually that cements our faith. And Jesus gives us all of those paths every day. Jesus rose again to draw all people to himself. In the Old Testament, the Lord made himself real during various times, intermittently revealing himself to those who needed to lead others. Jesus rising from the dead means that we celebrate that presence every day. He is our daily manna. He is our cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. Jesus is the sacrifice for our sin. The temple of the Lord is not a place, but now resides in our hearts and in our gatherings. Easter is not a yearly event, celebrating a God who makes us feel good. It is a joyous occasion to mark what we know to be true every day, that Christ has given us his very self to meet us where we most need him, in our fear and are wondering what we should be doing 
in our doubt, and on our faith journey. And so today, may his resurrection power be ours. Amen.